It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter in the basement on a Sunday morning. We'll call this the Brunch Club. And I think we can do this going forward, especially after Saturday games. This week will be a little bit different because it is a Friday night game against Indiana. And what I am excited about that is the first live reaction podcast during the second half. I think it's a 7 p.m. kickoff. So that means we'll be here at about 830 and go through the end of the game. So excited to get back to that, and even more excited because Illinois wins 38-6 to against Wyoming, and I think they look good doing it. Was at the stadium yesterday with my dad, first time that the two of us had been to a game together since Rutgers in 2019, and it was just nice to be back. I'll get later on into some of the logistical issues for fans that were trying to get in the stadium, and I don't know if in the chat window on Twitch, if any of you had this experience yesterday, but getting into the stadium was a pain. But yesterday as a whole was so great that I wasn't legitimately ticked off. I was just in too good of a mood. The vibes were great. The performance on the field was good. And there was a familiarity with getting back to it at the start of a season and actually getting the kind of win that I think we all hoped we would get. Wyoming is not good. Suffice to say, right? They lost a lot of players and it showed yesterday, but you did what good teams do to not so good teams. Wyoming this year, I bet they're like five and seven, six and six, you know, sort of in the middle of the pack of the Mountain West. Maybe not terrible, though. Who knows? Maybe they end up being terrible. Even if they do, though, there have been plenty of times in the last decade where Illinois against terrible teams has had way too competitive of a game. And there was that moment in the third quarter when I think it was 17, okay, 17 to 3, 17 to 6, Wyoming had the ball with a nine-point deficit. And even I thought to myself, if they get a touchdown here, okay, maybe it gets interesting. But it was never in doubt, mostly because the Illinois defense kept everything in front of them. I thought that was just a continuation of all the good things that they did last year. And for the guys that you lost, like a Roderick Perry, uh, Owen Carney, Kirby Joseph, no less, that you were able to plug those holes pretty well with guys that already knew the system. So Ryan Walters, it looks like, is legit. We thought as much last year, but I think that continuation in week one of this year or week zero should make us optimistic. Ryan Walters, great. Barry Lunny Jr., impressive first game for what I would imagine is somewhat vanilla. I am completely just guessing here that they didn't throw everything out there and partially because they didn't need to. The way that that game started to go, all you had to do was your bread and butter without showing too much. And that was enough for 38 points and 500 plus yards. That is an improvement. Even if Wyoming's bad, that's an improvement from last year. Now, what does it mean going forward? Uh, That was about what I expected. My prediction last week was 38 to 13. And it was 38-6, to so even better than that. The 38 points seemed about right because I thought there would be a a drive or two where we didn't punch it into the end zone and we got a field goal instead. Well, yeah, kicking, that is something we'll address later on. That could be a concern this year. But overall, the product on the field was one of competence. And while there were not many flashy plays on either side of the ball, there was the Witherspoon interception, which that the way that unfolded, you know, it was such a long developing play because the quarterback just sort of heaved it up there. What Witherspoon did, I, I just, I was so happy watching that. It was the kind of play that you get from big time, big 10 athletes. We knew Witherspoon was that kind of player, 
But to see that unfold bit by bit and how he was just watching the ball the whole way. And when you're doing that, you can get physical. So he's pushing the guy out of the way because he's playing to the ball. For some reason, that just really got me going. I thought, wow, this is a very well-coached team. And you're seeing the fruits of that coaching in this player development. Witherspoon was great. Quan Martin was great. The secondary was great. We have a very good secondary, just like last year. Don't want to say it's better because you did lose Kirby Joseph, but I think across the board, with everyone else being a year older, it should be every bit as good. Front seven, I think fine. Offensively, I like Tommy DeVito. We'll talk more about him later. You love the running backs, even with McCray maybe getting banged up. You feel good about that. Wide receiver, a few names that were nice to see yesterday. And an offensive line that overall was solid. Maybe not dominant like the way you would have hoped against Wyoming, but overall solid. As I left the stadium, my dad and I left when it was 31-6. to And got back out to kind of finish up tearing down the tailgate. And, you know, I woke up at 4.30 yesterday. So by that time... I was zonked. And I can't imagine how the people on the east side of the stadium felt because we were out of the sun. So it was a beautiful, pleasant day. If you had a canopy in the tailgate lots and if you were on the west side, it was absolutely perfect. Hardly broke a sweat. On the east side, you people are troopers. The ones that stayed the entire game over there. It got sparse and I imagine that a lot of them made their way either under the big overhang of the East Main stands, right, under the East Balcony, or they just walked over to the West, and I would not blame them. We used to do that back in the day. An Arkansas State game in Ron Zook's final season, I think it was 2011, where it was just smoking hot over there. The crowd was decent, and for 37,000 people for a game against a group of five opponent coming off of a five and seven year, that tells me that the base of Illinois football is pretty much consistently at 35,000. Even in rough years, you can count on those 35,000 plus. There's an opportunity here by beating Indiana to really get some exciting home crowds in the future. Hopefully, the DIA can handle it. They did send out an email about, how was your experience yesterday? I'll respond to that later in the podcast and then send them an email myself. It's not an old man yells at cloud thing. Remember, I said I had a great time yesterday. The, The vibes were so good despite that but something that can be improved on. And there are a few things on the field that can be improved too. But overall, a very good start to the season, and we got a lot to get to today. And we'll hit up anything that you all have in the Twitch feed as well. So thank you all for joining me on a Brunch Club Sunday morning. And let's get going. Before we get too far into it, got to remind you the sponsors of the 200 level include DP Doe online at dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Go online to dpdoe.com to get a custom zone with any topping you want or some of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That is dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Brian is our guy for homeowners and auto. He can be your guy as well. Big time Alani fan. I imagine that he was out in the lots yesterday as well. Brianismyguy.com. Rector Construction, uh, online at rectorconstruction.com. That's R-E-C-T-O-R construction.com. For any home exterior project, these guys are expert craftsmen. Customer service is second to none. And they're also really good citizens of this community. I, I know that for a fact. They give back a lot, a lot of philanthropic things that they do. So good guys that you can trust with your next home project. That is Rector Construction. And finally, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. 6% off, 6% off any furnace or AC service because they believe Illinois will get at least six wins this year. I agree with the guys, Cody and them, over at Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. We're going to get them to come in for a furnace check because while it's hot now, 
Fall is approaching, and before you know it, you'll start getting those cold evenings where the furnace will need to kick on. Is yours ready? Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing can come in and check out any home in the East Central Illinois area. They are based out of Paxton, but they do Champaign, Urbana, Muhammad, St. Joe, you name it. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level. If you listen to us on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, rate and review us. We got 155 ratings up there. That helps us get found by new Alani fans. Spotify might have a rating and review feature. I think about 70% of our listeners are Apple, 25% Spotify, and then the other 5% anywhere else you get your podcast. And we're on YouTube. We have 31 subscribers, and you know we've only been up for a week, week and a half there. Once we get to 50, we are able to do YouTube Live. And I'll have to decide if we keep the Twitch channel at that point or if we move over to YouTube. I kind of like Twitch. I don't know. I'm, they've been great since we started this last January or February, whenever we did. Okay, so this is from Big Toe to 78. How was the tailgate experience? Was it pretty packed? Here's my day yesterday. Woke up at 4.30. The excitement was there. It was one of those fleeting thoughts in my mind of, okay, am I up? Yeah, I'm up. Got the dog, came downstairs, got her fed and outside, and I sat down at the computer and started to just sort of get into the mindset of the game. Had the car packed already. And I got to the tailgate lots right at 7 or a little bit after and found a really good spot, 50-yard line in lot 31, which is where we'll be every week. So if you want to come say hi, look for the orange Illini flag with a green Spartans flag underneath that. That way, um, me and my wife can represent our alma maters. The tailgate scene was great. The weather was perfect. Um, A little bit smaller scale for us because the Virginia game, we have a lot of people coming down for it. Nice trial run for the larger tailgates we'll do. And walking through Grange Grove, well, I should say walking, it was a very slow walk because the line to get in the stadium went all the way out to First Street. And I think that was the same no matter what entrance you went in. But Grange Grove was electric from what I understand. I was not there at, let's say, 1.30, 2 o'clock when it would have been at its peak. And the stadium, I think that the crowd that was there was pretty good. And There weren't many big moments to cheer for. It was just a very workmanlike performance from Illinois where I think I was just content. And there were the occasional plays where I did get pumped, the occasional Tommy DeVito throw, which made me think this guy is probably pretty good, and the occasional defensive stop, which made me think, wow, they're still doing what they need to do. So overall, uh, great day, top to bottom, tailgating top notch, the game, pretty darn good and hopefully the fan service stuff in the stadium improves but big tota 78 yeah it was great and i think the overall excitement of just getting back to the tailgate lots everyone was feeling that vibe now will it feel that way for virginia if you beat indiana i want you to picture this scenario where it's another three o'clock game and is there a better time than 2 30 or 3 o'clock i love the afternoon kickoffs i'm okay with 11 a.m as someone that wakes up early now i don't mind that The afternoon starts, though, are perfect because you get a full tailgate in before, and if you win, you can have a post-game celebration back out of the car. Night games, as fun as they are, there haven't been a lot of successful night games in my Illini lifetime. Arizona State in 2011 was one of those cases where it was a big win, and the whole tailgate, it actually paid off with the game, but there's been too many disappointments to count otherwise. 3 o'clock is perfect. Virginia, 3 o'clock if you're 2-0. 45 to 50,000 people is totally reasonable, and I think it would be a great atmosphere. I think this Illinois team might be pretty good, and we've seen opening week 
blowouts before. I think Cubit against Kent State, the game that got rained out on a Friday night, and then they had to play it on the Saturday, beat them like 47 to 10 or something like that. Maybe 47 nothing. That team went on to be 5 and 7. I think we would all agree they should have been better than that. No offense to Bull Cubit. There's a reason he was here for only one season. We've seen even Levy Smith might have had a blowout or two in week one against a lesser opponent. Tim Beckman had a hard time blowing out anybody. And if I recall, even the year where they went to the bowl game, it was Texas State and one other close call, Western Kentucky. They all run together. So this was a welcome relief. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised by it because if there's one thing I bought in on with this program, it's that the coaching staff is legit. And now you have an offensive coordinator you feel will improve whatever you had last year. And if you can have a serviceable offense, this is a team that, as I said last week, and I'll hold to it after the Wyoming game, can go 7-5. and five. I really do think that's attainable with the schedule. That would include winning on Friday against an Indiana team that was not good last year. And I think that they can. I think they will. Now, uh, Big Tota, I'll get to the stadium stuff. Um, yeah, the bottleneck's getting in. But I do want to start here with the box score, which I think tells the tale of the tape pretty well. Later today, just as kind of teasing what we're going to talk about, how about that Nebraska-Northwestern game? I had a feeling it was going to be just a funny game, unintentionally comic. But Scott Frost ad- actually added his own layer of comedy to that. So we'll get into what the Big Ten West looks like because I don't think it's very good. I really don't. Looking at the box score here, first off, if I can go team stats. Okay. Illinois, the most impressive stat to me yesterday was 26 first downs. I don't know how many times last year we got 26 first downs, if ever. Wyoming, by comparison, 10. Defensively, a stat that you can really hang your hat on. Wyoming was 1 for 12 on third downs. Illinois, 7 for 16. Getting close to that 50%, you can live with that. Not great, but decent. Wyoming 0 for 1 on fourth down. A terrible play call. If you recall, Wyoming had like a yard and a half to go. And they just brought everyone in and they tried to run it up the middle. And there was no guessing Illinois had to do as to what Wyoming would run there. I thought it was a terrible play call. 1 for 2 for Illinois. So they did convert a fourth and one. That was good to see. 477 yards for Illinois to 212 for Wyoming. 30 passing yards. 3-0 for Wyoming on 5 of 12 passing. That is 1.5 yards per pass attempt. That's pretty bad. Now, Illinois at 5.4 yards per pass attempt. That's not great either, but as a team, 30 for 40. DeVito was, I'll pull up the individual stats in a bit because Sitkowski got in there. And one interception for Wyoming, and most importantly for Illinois, no interceptions thrown. Rushing, 260 for Illinois, 182 for Wyoming. That number might scare some people, the 5.9 yards per rush. There were a few longer runs for Wyoming that padded those stats a little bit. For the most part, I thought the run defense kept the guys in front of them. They have a decent running back. They have a running quarterback. I can live with 182, given the way yesterday shook out. 260 for Illinois on 41 rushing attempts. That's 6.3 average. Penalties, a bugaboo somewhat, especially in the first half. Six penalties for Illinois, 65 total yards lost on those penalties. Four for Wyoming, 39 penalty yards. There was someone earlier that mentioned, oh gosh, Big Toda mentions the horrible unsportsmanlike call. I thought it was so silly. That, that was one time where I cursed and then I realized, wait a second. They acknowledged the teachers yesterday, so I, I had stood up and they said, teachers, stand up. I get the recognition there was a teacher right behind me as well and then a few plays later I'm cursing out officials 
Way to be a role model, Carp. Come on now. That play call, or the, I should say that penalty call, bothered me as well. Fumbles lost, one for Wyoming, none for Illinois. Interceptions thrown, one for Wyoming, none for Illinois. Time of possession. I love this stat. I always have. I don't know what the stat would be for if you win time of possession, do you win the game? I'd be anxious to see. 36 minutes and 36 seconds for Illinois. You aren't going to get that every game. But against lesser opponents, if you do that, you're going to win and often win handily. That, to me, was very impressive. Got some player stats as well I'll pull up, including Tommy DeVito. I want to talk about Tommy. Let me get my glasses. They fell over here. Tommy DeVito was an efficient 27 for 37. 194 yards, uh, 5.2 average, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Again, I'm really going to kind of focus on that number. No interceptions. Now, Brandon Peters was not the most interception-prone quarterback. He wasn't like a Jay Cutler so much as he just lacked accuracy. So what drove us crazy about him was not, oh, Brandon Peters doesn't protect the ball. He kind of did. Tommy DeVito protected the ball as well, and I think the decision-making when he threw it away the way that if you really focused on each play, he would check down. He would be looking around, head on a swivel. He was protected well. He did say after the game it was the first time he's ever played a game and not gotten sacked. Sitkowski, three for three for 23 yards. That's good to see. Chase Brown's the star. 19 carries, 151 on the ground, two touchdowns. Reggie Love with some nice running as well. So even if McCray is out, you feel pretty good about your running back stable. McCray, eight Carries 33 yards. My fear is that we're looking at an injury-prone guy. I hope that's not the case. I fear that it is. All right, Hayden got in there. Chase Hayden got seven carries, 28 yards. DeVito, two carries, four yards. Not bad. So 38 was the longest run by Chase Brown. 33 from Reggie Love. Good to see some game-breaking ability from the rushers. Receiving. The names that stick out are Bryant and Hightower. Bryant looks the part. And he had, I thought, the best kind of shake-and-bake move of the day. He broke a tackle and got a few yards after the after contact that I thought was really impressive. Hightower was sort of the safety valve on third and shorts. Casey Washington, sure-handed, three catches for 26 yards. Isaiah Williams, they targeted him. A couple called back for penalties, but he still got seven catches. Only 26 yards, 13 yards in the long one. So I, I think Wyoming sniffed it out pretty good. I'm excited to see what more they do with Isaiah, though. This Morris kid had two catches for 18 yards. You look at this. How many different guys caught the ball? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 different receivers. Not bad. All right, Illinois defense. The best player on defense yesterday, Quan Martin. Seven tackles led the team. Three passes defended. He was all over the place. But really, you go down the list here from Keith Randolph to Johnny Newton to Dark Angelo, the linebacker. Calvin Avery looked good. There's not really anyone on defense I could point at and say, well, they had a subpar game. There's some depth there. And I think that maybe more depth than I thought. My whole fear coming into the season was that you lose a key guy in the defensive line. And I think if you lost Avery, that would be a problem. Or Newton or Randolph, because they are a cut above the rest. But if I look at the linebacking core, if I look at the secondary, and all the guys' names that are producing out there, getting tackles, passes defended, I'm thinking, well, maybe we're okay here. Like Bailey, the young secondary player, he had two tackles and a pass defended. Pretty good start for him. Probably should have had an interception as well. Kick returns, we had Vining out of nowhere. No one expected that. 
was not there in the stadium to see the kick return, but it was a pretty good one at 43 yards to get things started. Punt returns, you can tell Isaiah Williams really wants to break one. Uh, he's not afraid to catch it. He Apparently, yet again, I missed this because I was waiting to get in the stadium. He, The first punt that he received, he wanted to do something with it despite being surrounded by a bunch of Wyoming guys. He called some fair catches after that. Caleb Griffin, one for three field goals. Now, in his defense, the second field goal, it was a high snap. And I don't think that Robertson had enough time to get it down and get it set the way it should. It didn't look good from the start. Though on kickoffs, he's got the leg. So we'll see. I I hope that's not something that loses you a game. I hope you're just good enough to not ever have to get in that situation. But chances are there will be a game, maybe two, where you will need a kick. So fingers crossed on that. Punning was great. This Hugh Robertson guy, I say kid, not really a kid, 29 years old, 46-yard average on four punts. All in all, solid. Uh, from Kretzi, I, I mentioned McCray being worried about him being injury-prone. I don't think an injury like McCray's leads me to believe he's injury-prone just yet. If it was a consistent hamstring or quad issue, then I'd agree. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. Now, last year, if someone could correct me, with McCray, why did he miss as many games as he did in the second half of the season? There was the game at Penn State where it was just phenomenal what he did. Most of the stats he had last year were three games where he really pack those stats, but I'm thinking that there was either an injury, maybe COVID, I, I forget. Yeah, a couple of uh, muffs on the punt returns were scary. There was one Isaiah recovered his own fumble. I, I don't envy anybody that has to return a punt or even just catch them because even with a fair catch, out of your line of sight are all these hulking guys sprinting at you. That is a mental thing. You need a sharp individual back there if you want a sure-handed punt returner. All right, so those are the stats. That's how yesterday looked, and I think overall, everything that you would want in a game against a lesser opponent. Okay, now, what did Coach Bielema say? I think Coach Bielema overall was happy. Watching his presser afterwards, and I got some quotes here from him as well, he seemed to be overall very pleased with the way things went yesterday, as was I. He started with the offense. This is from Bielema, direct quotes here. There's a lot we can clean up, but I thought offensively from communication to adjusting on the sideline, Tommy showed great composure. He's a very accurate passer. He had some glitches, but a lot we can build off. The accuracy, I agree with. There were a few third down passes that Tommy did not complete, but he, in the third quarter, had a run where there were a couple of out patterns that he threw just really crisp, right on the money, that really excited me. Nothing crazy, pretty rudimentary stuff, but I liked what I saw from Tommy DeVito as well. Defensively, Bielema says, we talked all week they were going to have explosive runs. They're a good team with good schemes. We talked about getting the ball down. If it breaks, just get the ball down and make another play, and they did. They had a couple big runs. We got them down. We held them, and they kicked a field goal. This quote stands out to me because in so many past seasons of Illinois football, you would see the big play given up, and it was just the first of many big plays. There was a snowball effect. There was, okay, here we go again sort of thing. And yet yesterday, the feeling that I had was whenever there was a big play, that's okay. Well, we got him at the 35-yard line. We'll, we'll, we'll keep him out here. We'll keep him out of the end zone. For the most part, Illinois did. In fact, I think there was just one red zone trip for Wyoming. No more than one, for sure. That is a credit to the defense, which seems that whenever they do give up the big play, they tighten up for the next set of downs. And they did yesterday against Wyoming. 
Bielema on injuries, not really an update on McCray. Isaiah Williams could have gone back in. I didn't want to put him back in. He was cramping. So we came out of it pretty clean, but we'll wait and see the results of Josh. Not to downplay it, I love Josh McCray. The runs he had yesterday excited me. He's a beast. Losing him would hurt, but if there is a position where he can afford it, it would be running back. And this is from Glaze. If I recall correctly, McCray wasn't injured. He was sick. I don't think anyone said anything about COVID, but it could have been. That's what I thought. They, okay, thanks, Big Tota. Yeah, mostly due to illness as well. Okay, well, maybe not injury prone. That was unfair of me to say that. But there seems to be players like an Epstein. It's always something. I don't want for McCray for it to always be something. I, I just want to see a clean year from him. Okay, Tommy DeVito's debut. This is from Brett Bielema. I like Tommy's demeanor. Me too. Thought he did some things that don't go into the newspaper. Just getting rid of the ball on early downs so we don't get negative situations. He distributed the ball to a lot of players. 12 players caught passes today. Obviously not locking in on one guy. Barry has done a tremendous job working with Tommy and then to have Art come in and do what he did, that's worth its weight in gold. Your quarterback room is okay, right? I feel okay about it. I feel really good about Tommy DeVito like Brett Bielema does. And I mentioned that head on a swivel thing. You get 12 different guys to catch the ball. That means he's not locking in like Peters did with some guys that really even Wes Lunt back in the day would have Dudek and then what else? So I really do like that as well. On Chase Brown, this is coming from a former head coach of Wisconsin. I've had a lot of good running backs throughout my career. I told them last spring the last hit you took in the Northwestern game is the last hit you'll take until the opener. He had a great spring, good fall. We didn't let anyone tackle him. Then a little bit, this is a little bit of nitty-gritty X's and O's Bielema has about Chase Brown. These guys have limited reps, so I was a little nervous to see how explosive he'd be, but he has an excellent knowledge of how to play. He plays behind his pads really well. A lot of times running backs jump the gun on their keys and their reads, and he's really patient and playing at a high level. No doubt. Chase Brown just looks like everything is slow motion around him, that the decision-making he has and his ability to find the hole and cut, that is a wily veteran that also happens to be explosive and an athletic freak. Chase Brown is special. I'm really enjoying watching him. You know, I had a moment early in that third quarter before McCray got hurt. They started to get their mojo going, the two of them, as a tandem. And I, I think that Chase Brown is better than Rocky Harvey. I loved Rocky Harvey for what he was. And then I thought of, well, then you got Josh McCray, who's kind of like the Antonio Harris, the sure-handed, short-yardage guy. Now we got a little duo. Hopefully for most of the year you have that duo, right? Oh, Kretzy, good mention here. I mentioned previous quarterbacks locking into guys. The A.J. Jenkins year, 2011, when teams figured out, oh, stop A.J. Jenkins, and then the offense just went to crap in the second half of the season. Malik Turner to an extent as well. All right, let's see here. Brett Bielema on Barry Lunny. I think we were all yesterday looking specifically at the offense and, okay, is Barry Lunny going to improve this thing? I think he did. I was overall impressed with what I saw. Brett Bielema was as well. I was really excited to see our offensive communication. We're a no-huddle team, so there's a lot that goes into that. Barry is extremely gifted in the way he thinks and communicates with our players. As the year goes on, I'm excited to see this offense grow and try some new things. It was the sort of mixture of paces that I thought might be a little bit off in game one. And while there were moments of stagnation in the second and early third quarter. Overall, I really thought the pace with which the offense played, it kept me on my toes. So I can only imagine what it would do to a defense. They're coming up to the line of scrimmage. Are they going to go? Oh, 
No, not this time. Next time they do. It would keep a defense off kilter. And when they had the touchdown drives yesterday, there was one specifically, the third quarter drive that got them up, I think 24 to 6, was an extended six, seven minute drive. And that was just what the doctor ordered. It, It put the game away at that point before it became kind of a blowout. And that execution, that level of it, and how you can both be a pace and ball control team, I think they're straddling that line pretty well. So I'm excited to see that continue. Okay, let's see. On the secondary, Brett Bielema says, I think our back end is playing high. Up front, we have good players, but Quan Martin is playing exceptional football. Sidney Brown as well. I was excited to see Kendall Smith in his first extensive action. Bielema didn't even mention Witherspoon in this quote, who had the great interception. Sidney Brown is fun to watch. I love safeties that roam the middle of the field. The old strong safety, the old, gosh, uh, if you remember Tony Parrish back in the day with the Bears would occasionally do that. Then it was Tony Parrish and Mike Brown, a great tandem. So when you see a safety like that, there's a Troy Palomalu thing going on with Sidney Brown. Where's Sidney? Where's Sidney? Oh, wow. He's literally in the box. On surefire running downs, that is where you're going to see him. We saw it last year at the Minnesota game. That was when I really took notice of Sidney Brown just sort of looming back there. And he's an intimidating presence. Love watching him play. And I remember a few years ago, he was a little more mistake prone. Big plays would get behind him. I'm not worried about that anymore. I love, love the secondary. And if there is a common denominator in good Illinois football teams that I've seen in my life, the whole handful of them, good secondaries are consistent. 01, 07. Not going to say this team is going to go 10 and 1 or 9 and 3. But I do think that they have that seven win potential. I've had said eight wins. Don't careful carp. Don't get too excited. All right. A lot of praise for Quan Martin from Brett Bielema. Defensively, Brett Bielema talked about taking away Wyoming's Wyoming's deep shots. They did that. And then the one time that they did try to go deep, oh, Witherspoon interception. Pretty good. Brett Bielema talked about the lack of deep passes offensively. He said that's just what Wyoming was giving us. They were giving us a lot of space in the intermediate routes. So that's what they took. Defensive continuity. Bielema says different players popping in, two new players on the edge, and Seth Coleman and Ezekiel Holmes. Alec Bryant got some reps. Gabe Akis, it's a silent J, got in there. I really like the development of our inside backers between C.J. Hart, Isaac Darkangelo, and Tariq Barnes. Those guys are like three starters in a position that takes two guys. I feel secure with the linebacking core as well. The fundamentals, this is a very coachy kind of thing that Bielema said, but I think it speaks to the identity he's building here at Illinois. Good football plays are the result of good fundamentals. That was the last thing I told our guys this morning. There is no magic call. Coach Walters can't make a perfect call. Coach Lundy can't make something perfect. You have to execute with fundamentals, and that's the thing our guys routinely hear. I was a little pissy about penalties in the first half. I think we have to play clean football, but our guys responded in a positive way, and sometimes you have to learn by fire. Mistake-free, fundamental football. You know, to me, the reason I was excited when Bieleman was hired was that we would get a competent head coach, right? His history would prove that. Arkansas tenure aside, that didn't bother me so much. I thought we would be getting a guy that knows how to win in the Big Ten West. And in the Big Ten West, the teams that are always there at the top are the ones that just don't screw up as much as the other teams. Kind of boring, I guess, but winning is not boring. Yesterday felt great despite there not being many explosive plays. And you can still be just fundamentally sound, maybe not the most explosive team, but if you are fundamentally good at what you do, you're still going to get the 30-some points and the 400-plus yards offensively. 
to me, the thing that I'm having a hard time reconciling as an Illini fan is that I trust the defense. I enjoy when the defense is on the field. I don't want them to be out there too much, but at 24 minutes a game, they're going to be a damn good defense. At 30 minutes a game, I still trust them. This is where the offense just being okay will, I think, do wonders for a defense that was already good last year with a terrible offense. There is something complimentary about that. I love this defense. I do. I'm I'm excited for Friday. I think they have the ability to shut Indiana down. We'll see. Am I too high on it? Maybe so. It's week zero, and I'm already pretty excited about it. Bielmo was excited about wide receiver depth. I, I would agree with that. I don't know who the star is. I don't know who the go-to guy is. It seems like Hightower is emerging, and Bryant looks the part, and Isaiah Williams. Those are probably the three guys you see the most of, and that's not even mentioning Casey Washington, who, if it came down to it, I would trust on a slant pattern on a third and five. He seems to be a sure-handed guy. So maybe we're okay at wide receiver. Tight ends was interesting yesterday. I don't know what the deal is with Luke Ford, and I'm not going to talk that badly about someone who's 12 years younger than I am or however much younger he is. For someone with as much bluster as he had to be where he's at in this program, which is basically a non-factor, he did some run blocking yesterday. I expect nothing, nothing from Luke Ford. And that's okay. You know, we got other guys that you can go to. But boy, oh boy, follow that under another disappointing homecoming kind of thing. Wes Lunt from Oklahoma State to here. No offense to Wes, but overall a dud. Luke Ford so far, a dud. And if it wasn't for the blustery cowboy hat-wearing Twitter videos, okay, fine. But (laughs) if I never see another cowboy hat-wearing video from Luke Ford, I'll be all too happy. I want him to succeed because he's got the body. He's got some talent there. But, no, to count on anything from him, I think Marquise played pretty well. He got Tip Ryman that they're high on. Yeah, it's fine. We can, I don't want to say move on, but the idea of a feature tight end, Luke Ford is not going to happen. They mentioned Caleb Griffin, Brett Bielema did. Uh, That is a concern as well, the specialist position, but I'm not going to cross that bridge until we get there. I acknowledge the concern, but hope that the team overall is good enough to overcome a drop in kicking. I mean, we've been so lucky. I mean, think about all the terrible Illini teams that have had great kickers. Maybe we just flip it on its head and we have a pretty good team with an okay kicker. And I'll take that. I'll, I I would take far many, uh, far more other positions on the field that I could focus on and say, I want the tight ends to be better. I want the offensive line to be better, the defensive line. I'd do that well before I'd ever say, I want a good kicker. This reminds me of one time in Chicago. We went out for breakfast on a Sunday morning after a Saturday night out with friends. And there was this guy at the counter of this old Chicago breakfast diner wearing a Kansas City Chiefs starter jacket. And he, we overheard him say the cashier, he said, all you need is Matt Castle and a good kicker. As if that was the cure-all for the Kansas City Chiefs when they got Matt Castle. Actually, he called him Mark Castle. Regardless, that quote has stayed with me for a long time. It's just one of those asinine. No, you like a good kicker. Do you need it? You don't. Can it kill you? Yes. Bears fans know plenty well. That can kill you. But they had other issues, including a head coach that couldn't get out of his own way, other than just, what the hell was that kicker's name? Why would I even try to go down that rabbit hole again? Who was the Bears kicker that sucked? Double doink. Yeah, regardless, why would I go down there? All right, we got a few more things to talk about before we get out of here. I wanted to talk about 
this old man yells a cloud thing before I get into the Northwestern Nebraska game, which was awesome. There's a great column in the Omaha newspaper this morning I want to read from a Nebraska guy that is just very damning of the whole Scott Frost experience, which has been a joke. I don't even know what they're doing in the Big Ten. I know their volleyball program is good, but other than that, what is the point of Nebraska even being here? Can we kick them out? Can they be relegated? Getting into the stadium yesterday was a joke. Clown show. Angry. I had two angry tweets. Though, again, I I wasn't actually angry. I was just enjoying the time being back at the stadium, going to a game with my dad. It was a beautiful summer day. 37,000 people in a stadium that can hold 60,000. And there were, on the west side, Grange Grove, six people scanning tickets. If you're Josh Whitman, and you're watching from the press box, I hope that was considered unacceptable. Same thing kind of happened in Nebraska last year, right? For anyone that went, I was not at the Nebraska game. I know they ran out of water last year at the Nebraska game, and the concessions were a mess. Well, guess what? The concessions were a mess yesterday, too. They got these grab-and-go things on the west side. Grab-and-go. Easy. I love the setup of that. I go in, and then the young college-age guy that was working and said, hey, just to let you know, um, cash only. And I said, well, outside the stadium, there were all these signs that said, no cash. It's a cash-free stadium. He said, I know. He's like, but they haven't given us the credit card thing yet. They haven't given us the credit card thing yet. I've occasionally been going on campus runs, and the month leading up to the season, I'll, I'll run the ramps sometimes at Memorial Stadium. It's good for incline and decline stuff. So you can do that. Other runners do it too. They've been setting up the stadium for a month and they didn't have the credit card machines where they should have been. They've been setting this thing up for a month and it took from when my dad and I got in line in Grange Grove to get into the stadium 35 minutes. We left the tailgate at 2.45, thinking kickoff at 3. Okay, maybe that's pushing it, you could argue. But we were in line five minutes from the tailgate. That gives us 10 minutes to spare for a 37,000-strong crowd. What I really hate beyond waiting in line, and I don't like lines, but that again, that didn't bother me so much as the ineptitude of it. I don't like anything that makes Illinois look inept. It's the old thing that Stephen Bardo said back in the day, the University of East Central Illinois. And you can say what you want about Steve Bardo. I got some issues with some things he said. But there is some truth to that. Growing up in the Ron Gunther era, there was always this notion that we were not as big as maybe we should have been. Certainly basketball was great. And credit to Ron Gunther for hiring great basketball coaches. But in terms of stature amongst other Big Ten teams, we were this little old guy. And it's fun to be the underdog sometimes. But it's not fun to be inept. And it's not fun to be someone that's been going to these games for that long, or in my dad and mom's case, season ticket holders since you know the late 70s, early 80s. And for it to be that big of a pain in the ass to get into a stadium that is half full. Now, my dad and I are going to keep going, especially if they beat Indiana. I think a lot of people are going to keep going. But imagine if that was your first experience at the stadium yesterday. And it takes you that long to get in, regardless of the entrance. Maybe the east side was a little bit easier because it wasn't as full. I think we have an idea what entrance we're going to try next time. But at the end of the day, it really shouldn't matter what entrance you're going into. The security was not that stout. They scanned a ticket and you walked in. And it still took as long as it did. What I also didn't appreciate was there was a lady wearing a supervisor polo 
And she was getting attitude with people because some people brought bags. Now, whether or not you can bring a bag in, I think the easiest thing is don't bring a bag or a clear bag, right? I think it's a clear bag policy. How well was that communicated beforehand, though? I don't know. Why don't you establish here's the line for bag checks and here's the... No. Instead, it was a complete cluster. It was a free-for-all. It was a joke. And I don't want Illinois to be a joke. As an alum, I don't want Illinois to be a joke. As a person that goes to the football and basketball games. And they had the basketball thing pretty well figured out last year. I thought that overall, with the COVID checks and all that they had to do, and they won't have to do that this year, overall, State Farm Center, not really any issues. But come on. You had a month to prepare for this. And for the Nebraska game... Last year, you didn't learn your lessons? It's not rocket science. I mean, the one time I went, I've been to the big house twice. Apples and oranges. But this is a place of 110,000 people almost. Went Lovey Smith's first year, Jim Harbaugh's first year. You just walk right in. Because they have the infrastructure to support 110,000 people. We don't for 37,000. Give me a break. If that crap happens again at Virginia, that will be very disappointing. If it's fixed... Okay, no harm, no foul. We'll chalk it up one more time to week zero jitters. But this is the second week zero in a row, and I expected better. And it's not expecting that much. I got to wait a few minutes in the concession line. That's okay. It's a football game. I get it. Got to wait in the bathrooms a little bit, which you didn't have to yesterday, because guess what? It wasn't full. Walked right in and out of the bathroom. But getting in the damn stadium, that was a problem. Missed half of the first quarter. It looked like a Lakers crowd. With all the late arrivals, but it was nobody's fault. No one was trying to be fashionably late. And if I wasn't in such a damn good mood yesterday, it would have bothered me more. But I had fun. (laughs) After that rant, let me tell you, I had a lot of fun yesterday. I don't want this to be misconstrued as, that ruined my day. No, it was awesome. It was a great performance. It was good to be back there. Just clean it up, Alani. Come on. You think my angry tweets made any difference? Probably not. That's okay. Now, I would be remiss if I don't end the podcast talking about Nebraska Northwestern. Later this week, we'll have a midweek podcast to talk about the Indiana game. Tuesday or Wednesday, probably Wednesday. And then Friday, it's the game. I like this short turnaround. I like the fact that we get the game Friday, and then Saturday, when college football starts in earnest, we'll be free all day to watch any game we want to. And actually bet on college football games because the only two games I cared about yesterday featured Illinois teams. And as you know, we can't bet on Illinois teams. All right. I want to pull up this article from the Omaha newspaper. And let me make sure I get their name correct here. The Omaha. Hmm. What is the Omaha? I can't tell. Herald Review, something like that. This is from a writer named Dirk. Chatelaine. Dirk Chatelaine. The headline reads, Nebraska football is an empty box and has been for decades. There's some truth in that. Though Bo Pelini was okay. I mean, he was a jerk. No one liked him. But All right, here's the article. A great linebacker can spot vulnerability a mile away. He sees it in film study. He senses it before the snap. He feels it when the shoulder pads crunch. Give a great linebacker a whiff of weakness, and he'll spend 60 minutes trying to exploit it. Pat Fitzgerald was an All-American linebacker at Northwestern in 1995 and 96, maximizing his talent, epitomizing grit. No surprise that Fitz exposed Nebraska football's fatal flaws Saturday in another season-opening Big Ten Red flop. 
Spit out the Kool-Aid, grab a shot of whiskey. It's going to be a long season in Lincoln. Fitzgerald doesn't own the Huskers like Kirk Ferentz or Paul Chris does. Just 11 months ago, the Northwestern coach got humiliated by Scott Frost in Lincoln, 56-7. to But Fitzgerald does know the blueprint to beat Frost. Make the Huskers go four quarters, test their composure, discipline, and endurance. If you keep Frost in the pressure cooker, inevitably, he'll melt. Doesn't matter how much his roster changes or how much money his school spends. Over and over Saturday, Fitzgerald stood there like Rocky Balboa in front of Clubber Lang, toying with Frost, daring the Huskers to throw the knockout punch. And when Frost whiffed, Fitz started hammering the body. As a child in the 90s who watched Frost flatten defenders on option keepers, it is still hard to comprehend how soft Nebraska has become, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but Saturday's result in Ireland laid it bare again. Doesn't matter how many faces change, the product is not. Frost has enough talent to win. He can't get out of his own way. This is where I, this article really got me. It cracked me up. If the coach is fired this fall, his third quarter onside kick attempt might go down as the defining play of his career here. It reminded me of 2015 at Illinois. Remember? When Tommy Armstrong threw incomplete on third and seven in the final minute, when taking a knee would have nearly exhausted the clock, the Illini rallied to beat Mike Riley footnote here before I get back to the article at that point my dad and I started to walk from the east back to the west side of the stadium and I said instead of leaving the stadium let's stay in the Great West Hall in in case anything stupid happens so we are still here and we get out to the Great West Hall at a TV at the exact moment that they throw an incomplete pass on third and seven and then we kind of mosey back in and then we watch what like the three Pass interferences in a row on Geronimo Allison before they finally got the game winner. It, it was silly, fun, but super silly. Back to this article. Frost flop in Saturday's third quarter belongs in the same category. The Huskers led 28-17. to Northwestern was gas. Frost gave them second life with a silly, reckless decision. Fitzgerald, by contrast, chose the opposite approach, as if he were coaching in a snowstorm. Be conservative. Keep applying pressure. Make Nebraska beat you. He took a chance that Frost's 5-20 and record in one-score games would carry over, and it did. Afterward, Frost tipped his hat to Northwestern's coaches and seemed to question his own. I think we're going to have to learn as an offensive staff that you've got to be a little creative in this league. Surely he's talking schematic nuances here, but Frost's division is hardly known for creativity. Is Fitzgerald an innovator? Is Ferenc or Ferenc, how do you guys say it? I say it both. Or Christ or P.J. Fleck or Brett Bielma, all of whom beat Frost in 2021? Those programs laugh at Nebraska's lack of fundamentals and player development. That's where they win. That's where Nebraska loses. Two Big Ten peers, Frost Huskers, resemble the point guard who makes 30-foot step-back threes one position, then dribbles the ball off his foot the next. The golfer who hammers 350-yard drives, then chunks pitching wedge into the front bunker. The record-breaking tennis server who can't handle a simple volley on match point. Northwestern just kept bunting the ball back to the middle of the court Saturday, waiting for the Big Red to stumble. Fitzgerald knows what the Huskers are, and more importantly, what they aren't. Everyone does. Nebraska fans can take pride in the social media hype videos that generate millions of page views. They can boast of pep rallies halfway around the world, but it's all fancy wrapping paper for an empty box. The program is hollow and has been now for a decade. Mark Whipple's offense collapsed in the final 22 minutes. Eric Chinander, hmm? His defense couldn't stop Northwestern's running game or summon a pass rush. And before all that, Nebraska committed yet another game-changing special teams gaffe. What turns the tide? 
who reverses the curse. Barring a turnaround, the focus will soon shift back to another great linebacker, another gritty All-American from the 1990s, just a few years older than Fitzgerald. Trev Alberts. Alberts made a shrewd move last November. The Husker fan base, despite all the misery the past five years, wasn't convinced that Frost could really be the worst big red coach in 60 years. So Alberts retained Frost, cutting his pay and urging him to overhaul his staff. Alberts wasn't setting up his coach to fail, but like Fitzgerald, the AD was placing Frost in the pressure cooker. At the end of the day, it might be the same thing. You know, for as nice as they say Nebraska people are, that's pretty damning, isn't it? Big Tota says, I saw a Frost press conference. He was asked if he would consider stepping down. Of course, he said no. But just the fact that question was asked is pretty damning. Absolutely, Tota. Remember Zook, his last year, when Shannon Ryan asked a very innocuous question about, does your locker room feel the pressure coming from the outside? And he just left the press conference. Couldn't handle the pressure. Scott Frost is someone that I thought after UCF, that was the dynamite hire. You know, he was the golden boy for Nebraska, and here we are. They stink. And I said that if I were to prognosticate ahead of this season and look at each game, that for whatever reason, Nebraska, that game kind of concerns me. They do have talent. Things can get weird. But as I watched that game yesterday, I was thinking, well, wait a second. If we are who I think we are, which is just a solid team, and Brett Bielema does the Brett Bielema thing, then we're going to do the same thing Northwestern did. And I'm sorry, I think we're a little bit better than Northwestern. This could be a season that just falls apart for Nebraska. I mean, would you be surprised? It seems like they are right on the cusp of just giving up. And Glaze, I'm so glad you said this. I had this exact same thought this morning. Glaze says, I'm actually hoping Frost wins enough to save his job. Me too. Because then we will always have a Nebraska who will self-destruct. The best case scenario, Glaze, is they go 7-5. and five. I don't think six and six saves it, does it? Maybe it does, but I think they're pretty checked out. I think seven and five would be one where they think, well, he improved. He's over 500. Okay, we'll keep him. I think seven and five would be enough. They got some gimmies coming up. I just hope we're one of the five if they do go seven and five. They are not going to be a player in the Big Ten West. And I remember last week saying, you know, I think my head said Nebraska's going to win by a lot, but my heart said, wait a second. Northwestern's going to win in some stupid fashion. And sure enough, they did. But it wasn't like Northwestern did anything goofy. They just did what Northwestern does. Nebraska, just completely moronic stuff from Scott Frost. And then it's getting to the point now where there's this weird kind of invisible toxic sludge that can get built into a program. And it takes a really good coach to sort of rid the program of that toxic sludge. Whatever's going on in Nebraska, I don't think that's something that a coach immediately remedies next year. Talent or not, something is rotting at the core, and that will take a lot. And as Glaze says, their schedule is charm and soft. They did, after the COVID year where they got screwed because they couldn't keep their big traps shut, yes, their schedule is easier this year, so we'll see. All right, last thing here from Kretzi13 before we wrap up, and thank you guys for joining me on a Sunday morning for a brunch club. Kretzi says, should we be worried about the lack of pass rush yesterday or do we chalk it up to Walters being vanilla to not show too much? Good question. Uh, these will be things to watch, Kretzi, and I think that the defense is not going to be a top four Big Ten defense. But to get to the six or seven wins that you want, you really need to be in that five to eight range. 
to almost like guarantee that. And I think they will. I think that's about where they will be. I don't think the pass rush is going to be dominant at all. I think a really good secondary can offset that. I would like to see more as well. And perhaps a little bit of it was being vanilla. There weren't many blitzes yesterday. Now that Walters is super into that. Um, but yeah, we'll see Friday. I feel good about Friday. I, you know, it's it's a Big Ten opponent, but you got a game under your belt. You got the reps where they did not. I think you just got to come out and punch them in the mouth. I don't expect a blowout. But there have been games for good Illinois teams in the past where they go into Indiana and they just just fine. I was there for the Rose Bowl year, uh, win that got Illinois to, I think, 4-1. and one. We took a trip over there, a day trip over to Bloomington and had an absolute blast. It was Avante Davis punt block, and I think he returned it for a touchdown maybe, where I said, wow, we're, we're just pretty good, and Indiana's pretty bad. Indiana's not as bad as their record last year would indicate, but they aren't good either. They are picked to finish last in the Big Ten East. It's a game you got to get. If I'm going to be at all accurate with my preseason predictions, this is a game you get more than Virginia, let's say. That that one is more of a toss-up. This one you got to get. I think they do get. I think the coaching staff is one where you aren't going to have, as we're so accustomed to as Illini fans, the silly, stupid mistakes that take a winnable game and turn it into a loss. We'll see, but I'm not I'm not worried about it. Is that is that too much to say as an Illini football fan? I have this weird comfort in our revenue sports coaches right now. I really do. And I think the early returns for football, even against a bad Wyoming team, are something to be encouraged by. All right, that's it for the Sunday Brunch Club. Thank you guys for tuning in. Illinois is 1-0. That's the most important thing. We get a game Friday night with a live pod on Friday evening for the second half, so we'll be here for that. It might just be me. Trevor and Isaac are super busy with their jobs, and I, I don't know. So if I'm doing these pods, the more of you, the merrier, and you can chat away, and you can even curse in this chat. I, want, I might not read it out loud, but you can curse. It's not, it's not at all monitored. I don't, why would I say, why would I encourage cursing on the chat feed? If you got angry on Friday, let's say, you can say whatever you want. Before we get out of here, real quick, our sponsors, DPDO online at dpdo.com. All the best deals and prices online at dpdo.com. Custom zones with any topping you want. Friday is as good a time as any to try DPDO. They can deliver a piping hot calzone to your doorstep in time for the Illini Indiana game. Also, uh, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give these guys a call today. They serve all of East Central Illinois. 6% off if you just mentioned the 200 level because they think Illinois is going to win at least six games, and I agree with Cody and the guys at Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For all your insurance needs, great State Farm prices, and excellent customer service from Brian Hansen, State Farm Agent, brianismyguy.com. And Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior projects. These guys are the best rectorconstruction.com for a free estimate today. All right, everybody. Thank you so much again for tuning in on Twitch. You can find this on YouTube. I now kind of have the technology figured out, I think, to get the video up on YouTube quicker. So thanks for your patience. Subscribe to us there. Once we get to 50, we can do YouTube Live. We're 31 or 32 subscribers at the moment. And you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, I believe, as well. Thanks to Champagne Showers Podcast Network, Alana Inquirer. Thank you all for listening, for watching, and we will see you middle of the week for an Indiana preview. I'm liking where the season's going. I feel good. Do you feel good? You should. And hopefully Friday night doesn't make us think anything different. All right, everybody. In the meantime, have a great start to your week, and we'll see you soon.
It is the 200 level.